Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from bearmarriage.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based biblical advice for your marriage and your sex life. And I am joined today, as usual, by my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach. Hello. And today is the last Thursday of the month. Mm -hmm. And that's when we often like to do topics that might appeal a little bit more to the male listeners, although both women and men, I think, will enjoy today. Because mm-hmm. we are going to talk about all of the deep dive research into libido that we've done this month. Yes. And some of the things that affect libido, it's going to be wild. It's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who are watching on YouTube, just a little note, we are trying out different things with our set to help with sound. So you are looking at my hand knit blanket. Yes, it was. It's I know it's still we still got some things to do, but it, it sounds a lot better with the blanket than I did. Without, so this so. was 12 years in the making. This is this is um, tons of sock yarn. And this is what I use for my bed covering in the summer. So mm-hmm. it is now. <laughs> our, uh, our set and we are drinking of course from our love and, and respect, respect mugs because healthy people, people need, need both and you can get these in our merch shop along with um our be a biblical woman yeah merch and our biblical womanhood merch two different things two different things two different things they're awesome same so, energy yes yep. and and when you buy those things it helps uh it helps us produce this podcast mm-hmm. and the blog and everything. So right. it just helps support us. Another great way you can support us is our Patreon. We're really excited with some changes that are happening. And we've just been blown away by your support for our Patreon that we've had to do a major rethink about what we're going to use the money for. And we've got some exciting things that we're going to share with you in a couple of weeks. Um, I'm really pumped. Yes. I spent a lot of my vacation doing some praying and and goal setting and long-term visioning. And I'm just really excited to share with you. So you can partner with us with what we're doing. We have some great ideas on how we can expand beyond the blog and beyond um, the podcast and beyond my face. So it's not just about me anymore so that it can carry on even when I retire, which I will do eventually. Uh, (laughs) So you can help us move in that direction when you join Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, um, Mm -hmm. you get access to a Facebook group, uh, unfiltered podcasts and more. So check that out. The link is in the podcast notes. It's patreon.com slash bear marriage. All right, Rebecca. Yes. We are going to talk libido now. Yes, we are. So here's the thing. (laughs) There are, what I've learned in our research that we've done is there's three different ways that we talk about libido. Mm -hmm. And in today's podcast, I want to go over those three different ways and what the research says. So to give our audience um, an understanding of where I'm coming from, this month, October, on the Bear Marriage blog, we've been doing what we call our research deep dive series. And some of that has come over onto the podcast too. Mm -hmm. So we've been asking the question, what has new peer-reviewed research found about marriage and sex? Mm -hmm. And you shared a lot of those things while I was on vacation. Yep. Connor and I did a podcast where he kind of walked us through the one on gaze provoking and body gaze behavior Mm -hmm. and uh, the incredibly concerning (laughs) results that that study found. And I know that one got a lot of really interesting conversation around it. So if mm-hmm. you haven't seen that one and you're interested in some more research, we're not going to be talking about those studies. So after you listen to this one, go back and check that one out. Yes, exactly. I also looked at whether um, all men struggle with lust is a primal fear. You yep. can see that on the blog. Um, we tackled a couple of other things. But what I really want to look at today is some of the stuff we found about libido. Yes. So let's talk about the three ways, first of all, that we can conceive of libido. First of all, the way we usually talk about libido differences is high and low. Yes. Who has... Who wants sex more? 
Right. Who wants sex less? Right. So we think of, well, he has the higher libido and she has the lower libido. Yeah. Or in or in 19% of the cases, as we found mm-hmm. in our survey for the Great Sex Rescue, she has the higher libido and he has the lower one. Yep, exactly. Now, we found that that isn't necessarily a great way to think about it. Well, because it's a very, it's a relative measure, right? Mm-hmm. So what if he has the higher libido because he wants sex 10 times a day and she has the abysmally low libido in their marriage because she only wants sex once or twice every other day? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's, it's relative. What does right. higher or lower mean? And it doesn't really help us see if there's actually a problem. Because if someone just wants sex two times a week and someone wants sex every day, that's not actually a low libido person who right. wants sex twice a week. That's very normal. Exactly. And so um, so that's one of the problems. Just so everyone knows, mm-hmm. uh, research tends to define hypoactive uh, desire disorder. Mm-hmm. And hypo means low. So like yeah. hypotension is low blood pressure. Hypertension, hypertension. is high blood Think pressure. about it in terms of a child, right? A mm-hmm. child who's bouncing off the walls is hyper. Yeah, hyper. Okay, so hyper is up. Hypo is low. Right. So hypoactive desire disorder is when you have really low desire. And in women, that tends to be diagnosed in difficulty with arousal, not necessarily wanting sex, but also, and this is a really key one, not having sex dreams and yeah. not really sexually fantasizing. Yeah. And um, we're going to get into that in our difference in our, our next measure of libido. Right. Okay. So, so that's, so instead of thinking of it in terms of, well, I have a lower libido than my husband. So therefore that is bad mm-hmm. because we tend to think of higher libido is good and lower libido is bad. We need to see that, you know, there are extremes on both ends, which are concerning. Mm-hmm. So if you have the hypoactive desire disorder, that's bad. But also if you really are needing sex, like multiple times a day that's yeah. also or if bad. you if you want sex every day that also mm-hmm. is much more than normal and if you can't function without getting sex right um that's that's above normal yes and so it's it, it's not your spouse's fault if they can't match you so that's that's some of the problems right. that we have with the high low and there's one discussion. other problem which is okay so we said 19 percent of women have the higher libido yeah and so do 58 percent of men but that leaves another chunk mm-hmm. <laughs> of 23% of couples that actually have pretty much a shared libido. Yeah, when we talk about high and low, we don't really let couples know that there is a third option, which is quite frankly, I'm going to be very honest, the easiest of the three options. Yes. Like if you're in a marriage and you guys have a shared libido, you're like, yeah, we have sex right now. No, between one and three times a week varies on the week and yeah, we're good. That's yeah. awesome. Like, and, and and as we talked about in The Great Sex Rescue, like here's what that might look like, okay? So you're watching Netflix at night. It's a great movie. Um, as soon as it's over, you know, you've been, you've been holding hands all through the movie. When it's over, you start to kiss. You know, that leads to something more. And the question is, who started it? Yeah. Like, who was the one who initiated sex? And it's like, well, I don't know. We just yeah. kind of... <laughs> sex. And, and yeah. when you're asking who is the higher, who is the low, you, you usually mean who is the one who's tends to initiate more but for a lot of couples it's just it's kind of organic it's natural and for them it's hard to say it was the higher one and so saying high and low isn't necessarily a helpful way so let's look at two other ways Mm -hmm. let's start with emily nagoski and she was the one in her groundbreaking book come as you are which is really good Mm -hmm. i highly recommend um not a christian book but very very good book in terms of the research and in terms of helping women understand who they are and how they were made and all of this stuff. She really talked about the the idea of responsive versus spontaneous. Libido. Yeah, she's really responsible for popularizing this mm-hmm. concept. This is something mm-hmm. that ha- was really new in the research from what I can see. Yeah. Um, and Emily Nagoski's book is what has now made it pretty much 
uh, what's the word? Common vernacular. Yes. And what this means is that, and what she's talking about, is that some people just want sex. <laughs> like, they, they, they feel in a sexy mood, they get turned on easily, and they just want, and that's more of a spontaneous libido. And mm-hmm. some people need something to respond to. Yeah. And I watched a TED Talk by her, and she explained mm-hmm. it really well. She said, spontaneous desire is the anticipation of pleasure mm-hmm. and responsive desire is a response to pleasure. Right. So that's that's the difference is there's always pleasure involved. Yes. You really like sex. Yes. Like you have a libido. It's just, is it in anticipation? Do you mm-hmm. get out ahead of the pleasure? Mm-hmm. Or is it more like I'm ready to feel good and then I know I'll get in the mood as soon as I start to feel good because you know you're going to feel good. Right, exactly. And we talked about this um, in the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and the Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex when we are talking about the sexual response cycle. Mm-hmm. How for some people, desire precedes excitement. Mm-hmm. So that that anticipation gets you in the mood before you even start doing anything. Yeah. And for some people, you really need to get excited. So you need to start the touching and, and so that you have something to respond to before the desire kicks in. Exactly. Um, what's interesting and what she really hones home is that responsive desire doesn't mean you're low libido. No. And you can actually reach orgasm, enjoy sex, etc. just as much as someone who is spontaneous. So it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. No. And it isn't something that is like less than. And not all women have a responsive libido. Yeah. (laughs) Like some women have spontaneous, some men have responsive. So so let's not think of it in gender terms either. And then one of the things that Emily Nagoski says, which can help us understand responsive versus spontaneous, is the idea of brakes and accelerators. Yes. And if you think about cars, Mm -hmm. okay, there are two pedals in a car. Unless you're someone (laughs) who's really obsessed with driving standards. Right. And there's three, but... Right. But in general, there's two pedals. There's one, your brake, that's going to slow you down. And there's one that's your accelerator that's going to speed you up. Yeah. And in order to have a really good libido, what you want is for the accelerator to work. Um, So the accelerator is going to go and you just hit it and you're like raring to go, Mm -hmm. zero to 60 kind of thing. And for the brake... Not to be too sensitive. Exactly. You don't want, like, if your foot even touches the brake, you don't want to come to a... A just complete halt. Right. So (laughs) what she says is that some people have really, really sensitive Mm brakes. So they may actually have a spontaneous libido. They may actually want sex. Like, their accelerator might be going... Yeah. You're like, full speed ahead, I want sex. But then they can turn on a dime. Exactly. Because they have really sensitive brakes. And that's frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> for the person who's going through it, right? Mm-hmm. If you're trying to have a great sex life and you're trying to get ready and you're going to go and then all of a sudden something happens. Yes. And you just can't anymore. Yes. Like that's frustrating not only to your spouse, it's frustrating to you as well. Exactly. And yeah. And then there's people who have a really, really sensitive accelerator. Mm-hmm. So they may not have that sensitive brakes. You know, like once you're turned on, you may be really turned on and you stay yeah. turned on. <laughs> yeah. But it's really hard to get you there. A sticky accelerator. Yeah. That's what she calls it. A sticky accelerator where it's just really hard to get. And then, of course, there's people who have both a sticky accelerator and, and sensitive, sensitive brakes. Um, and so in our Boost Your Libido course. We talk about this a lot. Yeah. We, you know, we help people recognize their, their brakes and accelerators when you think it's sexy time, etc. And I really recommend if you're struggling with this idea of, of libido and you just want to feel more 
spontaneous, if you're more of a responsive person, you want to feel more spontaneous, or you just want to be able to let yourself respond more, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, then please check out our Boost Your Libido course. Um, It's 10 modules. It's 10 different subjects that we're following. You'll find that even after the first one, so many people have told me, I've gotten so many emails even after the first module saying, oh my gosh, Sheila. Like, I feel so much freedom now. I never realized that. Just Mm -hmm. when people understand what libido is and what it's not and how you're not broken. So check out the Boost Your Libido course. The link is in um, the podcast notes. And now the last one. The third type of libido we're going to talk about is solo versus dyadic desire. Okay, so solo desire, from what I understand, is pretty much defined as your kind of the sexual confidence, your sexual drive, like you might be someone who enjoys kind of erotic content is kind Mm -hmm. of what they talk about in these studies. These are people who they might have a drive to masturbate. uh, Okay. Like it's it's just in essence, your sexuality that is yours. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. Like it's it's about you individually. Mm -hmm. Dyadic drive is the drive for partnered sex. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? So you have people who have, um, you know, who might feel very much like, yeah, I'm a sexual being, but I don't want to sleep with you. Mm-hmm. Right? So it'll be high, solo, low, dyadic. Right. So you might have a lot of sex dreams, for instance. Yeah. A lot of sexual fantasies, but whenever your husband kisses you, it you turns recoil. Off. Yeah. Or when you kiss your wife, you just recoil. Don't really feel as much. Yeah. You don't yeah. feel as much. So yeah. it's like, it's like you want sex, but there's something about this partnership. Yeah. That might be taking it away. Yeah. And and that's something that is really interesting that we've seen in these studies. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about that. But yeah. that's, that's where we talk about this hypoactive desire disorder. It's not only going to really react to the partnered sex area. It's going to be a holistic desire, uh, like lack of desire. Right. So it'll also be in the solo area as well. So that's why mm-hmm. I'm saying we're going to get back to it. Yeah. All right, now that we've got those three things out of the way, so we've got high, low, spontaneous, responsive, solo dyadic, let's talk about some of the studies that we looked at Mm -hmm. this month. Sounds good. Let's start with the one, I think, is it out of U of T? Uh, One of them was out of U of T. Do you think I can remember which one? I, no, the, the first, the oh, debut one. Oh, the libido one. one. Yes, the, the debut one. No, the debut one was UV, University of Toronto. You're correct. Now, we call it U of T because yes. we actually live close to Toronto. <laughs> yes, and everyone calls it U of T. Everyone but... in Canada calls it U of T. <laughs> yeah. So there was, you, you introduced the study. And my husband actually did his residency at U of T. So there you That's go. That's right. Someone sent me the study a while ago. Um, the reader sent me the best stuff. And uh, we were just waiting for a good opportunity to talk about it. And it hit this month. But here's what it said. It was looking at how orgasm for women at first intercourse impacted libido later. Yes. So they were saying, let's look at the sexual debut. And if her experience was orgasmic, how did that affect her wanting sex later on? And what they find. (laughs) What they found was that women who orgasmed the first time they had intercourse had the same likelihood of having a high felt libido Mm -hmm. as men. Yeah. Now, I want you to repeat that because this is this is astounding. And I don't know if people understand the significance of this. Yes. So women who orgasm the first time they have intercourse have Mm -hmm. the same likelihood of having a high felt libido as men do. Mm -hmm. So what the researchers were saying was that there's been this societal understanding that women simply want sex less than men. Right. Men simply want sex more. And -hmm. what they were asking is, but could that be because women's learning experience about sex 
teaches them that sex is not that great. Right. At a higher rate than that happens to men. We know that when when men have sex for the first time, it's practically guaranteed to happen. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't happen, it means something strange happened for the most part. Okay. Mm -hmm. For women, that is not the case. Yep. Women, the majority of women do not have an orgasm the first time they have intercourse. Mm -hmm. The majority. Mm -hmm. And so this is what these researchers were wondering is, is it that sex is something that our brains learn from and it's Mm -hmm. not an innate drive in the same way that we have assumed it's not that some people simply have a high sex drive and some people simply have a low sex drive Mm -hmm. is that our experiences teach our brains whether or not sex should be a priority Mm -hmm. based on how rewarding it's going to be right and so that very first time actually has a big influence yeah and then when you combine that with the research that we've done about how Christians often do the first time. Yeah, it's, it's not a great... problem. Yeah, and that might explain why Christians tend to have lower libido among women than non-Christians. Yeah. Um, according to our study and, and some others that I've seen, it seems that women who are not in religious spaces tend to have a higher felt need for sex. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder if it's because they're more likely to be having sex for the first time because they are aroused, which right. of course makes orgasm easier versus Christian women tend to have sex for the first time because... It's time to have sex. Right, because now I'm married as the wedding night. Yeah, at a, at a higher rate right. um, than, than non-Christians. Now, let, let, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a minute. Awesome. And I'm going to ask you some questions that came up in the comments. Yes. And then we're going to talk about how we should counsel couples, because I don't yeah. want people to get all freaked out by this. Okay? Exactly. So, first of all, but Becca, yes, maybe more sexual women yeah. simply orgasm the first time. Yeah, and I mean, there might be... A likelihood that there are women who are simply going to have an easier time, right? The mm-hmm. same way that we know that, you know, okay, for instance, um, alcohol and drugs are simply dopamine hits, right? Yes. Like that's that's why we do them because they feel good. But some yeah. people are going to have genes that make them feel even better, right? Right, and we tend mm-hmm. those tend to be people who have the genes for like addiction. Um, disorders more mm-hmm. um, happen more often, and there might be something similar to that with sex uh, for some women. But that doesn't mean that there's a genetic reason why a woman shouldn't have an orgasm the first time. Yes. So there might be a genetic reason why a woman should. Yes. But there's not a genetic reason why a woman should not. Yes. And so if we're using that as an excuse for why, well, sometimes it's just too hard. Mm-hmm. No, sometimes she wasn't aroused enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if, if it's just too hard, I, I do question what is the measure then? Is it that, well, some women can orgasm in seven minutes and she couldn't. And mm-hmm. so therefore it just wasn't going to happen. Right. It's like, well, if her pleasure was the priority... Mm-hmm. And if you were like, hey, we're not doing this unless it's good for both of us, there is absolutely no reason why she should not orgasm the first time. Yep. Absolutely no reason. Yep. And now, and this is where this is where uh, some of the advice gets tricky. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because here's the thing. What I want to do is make this the assumption that couples have. Yeah. And this this research doesn't say that the first time you orgasm needs to be through intercourse, by the way. No, they just looked at the first, the what happened the first time a couple did have intercourse. Right, right. So there is no reason why you couldn't get married and then figure out how her body works. Try it on easy mode. mode. <laughs> Try it on easy mode first, okay? Get really good at that. Make sure that she's enjoying herself. Make sure she feels comfortable and relaxed. And this is what we recommend in both the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and the Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex mm-hmm. too for premarital couples. Please make those your bridal shower gifts. They're they're very healthy. Um, you know, get comfortable with those things before we try intercourse. And I think that it should be the assumption that women can orgasm. Okay, like there's a really stupid joke 
that okay. I'm sure most people have already heard. I saw it go around TikTok. I, saw I know it go what you're going to say. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So God is standing in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. And he stands. He says, my beloved children, welcome to the world. I have two gifts, one for each of you. So listen to them and then you can figure out who gets which one. All right. And he goes, now, the first gift I have is the ability to pee while standing up. And Adam goes, oh my goodness, nothing could be better than that. I want that one. Please. That one's mine. And God says, are you okay with that? And Eve says, yeah, 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 sure. And he says, okay, Adam. I mean, if you really want that one, the second one is multiple orgasms. (laughs) (laughs) So what I'm saying is, listen, women have the ability to not only have the same amount of pleasure that men have but Mm -hmm. to have it over and over and over and over again right and so why is it the assumption that women will be less sexual than men or that women will enjoy sex less than men Mm -hmm. we need to recognize that women are not less sexual and because of that the response needs to be that sex can no longer be Mm one-sided and that sex should be a way for a couple to explore each other and to honor each other and to love each other and that really can't happen if her priority, her pleasure is not a priority. Exactly. At the same time, I'm going to push back. Yeah. The advice that we give couples who have been married for five years would be different. Because this is what I would say to people who are getting married is like, prioritize her pleasure. There's no uh-huh. reason she can't reach orgasm. Let's figure this out. But what this study shows is that if she didn't orgasm uh-huh. that first time, She's much less likely to have a high libido. Yeah, and sex is going to get more difficult. And so for you, (laughs) there might be different events. Like, we don't want to put this major pressure on women that you now need to orgasm every time. If you have found orgasm really difficult, let's instead figure out how we can overcome some of these roadblocks, a lot of which we built for ourselves. (laughs) And that's where the orgasm course comes in as well. Yes. So, you know, if if orgasm has been a problem for you and you want to figure out how to make this work so that this can be something that you regularly experience. Yeah, so it can be um, fun and and take the pressure off of it. Yes, yes, exactly. Then you can check out the orgasm course as well. Mm Because I know that that this is, we don't want to put more pressure, but at the same time, by not expecting orgasm, I think we've cre- largely created this situation. We definitely have. So that's that's number one for the yeah. research. Number two is another interesting one. Okay, I loved I love this one. This one okay. was just great. So some researchers did a study. I, I believe it was out of Australia. I think it was out of I Australia. I believe it was yeah. out of Australia. Um, they had couples fill out this equality survey and also ask them questions about their sex life, about um, Mm -hmm. their sex drive, to get at a bunch of different permutations of how these things affect each other. And what they found is that women in relationships Mm -hmm. where they are holding an unequal amount of responsibility Mm -hmm. have way lower dyadic desire than women who are in equal partnerships okay now what's really interesting is their solo desire did not change okay so it's only the partnered side of sex so these Mm -hmm. women still like sex they just don't like sex with him right they just don't they just can't want sex with him in the same way and what these researchers were saying is that this might explain why research has found that over time, women's sex drive tends to wane in a relationship. Mm-hmm. What they said in an article um, that they wrote about the study was that you have the picture of this woman who's washing his dishes every night. <laughs> every night. And yeah. every time she does it, there's just more, it just turns into resentment mm-hmm. because she should not have to do all of this. 
Yeah. And he should be someone who's her partner. And instead, he's just another responsibility that she needs to take care of. And mm-hmm. frankly, it is not sexy to have sex with someone who you feel is just an overgrown child. Yep. And I know that's yep. harsh, but that's... Yeah, but that is... And, and because what you want is a partner. And so... And it's the partnered aspect of it, yeah. which leads to desire. And so if you don't have that partnership, if you feel like he is one of my responsibilities, then that's going to make sex way down the list because sex like that is not sexy. Yeah, like if you're always having to hound him to remind him to text his sister on her birthday and to get his brother and his new wife the wedding present that he's supposed to get them. And when these are all things that he should just be doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is this is the problem. And so yeah. what this found was that equality is the biggest aphrodisiac for women, really. Mm-hmm. Long term. If you want a good sex life long term, Mm-hmm. make sure that you aren't offloading your emotional, your household and your like mental load responsibilities onto your wife. Yep. Yep. And again, I'm going to push back. Mm-hmm. Okay. So some of the pushback that happened in the comments, but Becca, when they look at time studies, mm-hmm. men do more paid work and women do more unpaid work, but it's all equal in the end. Yeah, exactly. They always show this. And the thing is that one thing is I've seen a lot of studies that talk about this and they don't take childcare into the equation mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Um, so, or they'll, they'll have like specific childcare tasks. Like for example, how often, like who bathes the children and puts them to bed, but mm-hmm. they don't do the whole, who's organizing to make sure that John's homework isn't on time. Or who's just simply making sure that like, who's watching them. Who's the default parent. Yeah. Well, who's, while you're making dinner. Yeah. Who's mm-hmm. taking care of the mental load of parenting? Who's taking care of the mental load of the house? Like, sure. You might both only do an hour of housework in the evening but Mm -hmm. then is she also thinking throughout her day about the meal plan and keeping track of what's in the pantry and making sure that and how much screen time they're on and are they fighting with each other and again (laughs) who is doing the two hour long phone calls with their mother-in-law to make sure they have the updates on the kids and who's doing all that stuff these are often not kept um these are often not discussed in these studies as well yeah like a good way to figure out who's the default parent is um does one of you feel like you can just decide to leave like yeah like okay oh so and so wants to get together for coffee on thursday night great i'll go you know can you decide that without checking with your spouse or and and is that something that both of you can do or that only one of you can do yeah because like I'm, i'm gonna be honest me and connor can both do that Right. Mm Because we know each other's schedules. And we know that if one of us has a night off, the other one can take care of the kids and we'll swap at some point. But if only Connor could do that, or Mm -hmm. if only I could do that, that would be a problem. Yep. Yep. And one of the best ways to tell if there's unequal um, load isn't necessarily to look at how much work everyone does, but instead to ask how much downtime people have. Yes. How much time in the week do you have where no, where, where you are free of responsibility, where nobody is trying to get you to change the channel or make me a snack or whatever. How much time do you have where you're completely free of responsibility? And if that isn't equal, that is a problem. The other problem additionally, just going to yet another one, is that women tend to take on hobbies and activities that benefit the household, Mm -hmm. whereas men tend to take on hobbies and activities that are just hobbies and activities. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with having hobbies and activities that are just hobbies and activities, right? But women's activities tend to be also things that maybe she's really into baking and so Mm -hmm. she makes all the muffins for the next four months is that free time or is that meal planning yeah it's both yes (laughs) right and so that's why often even when it seems like oh well it's an equal relationship it might not be 
Yeah. And so these are just things to ask yourself. So this is a huge predictor of libido in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So now what I would like to do, Rebecca, is I would like to take a look at some of the reader questions that are sent in. And then we can look at them through some of these lenses, you know, whether it's responsive, spontaneous, solo dyadic, etc. So here's the first one. Do you have any resources for wives who just don't like physical touch? In general, I'm not a fan of hugging, kissing, and unfortunately, it's my husband's number one love language. But regardless, how will I ever enjoy sex if physical touch causes me to become squeamish rather than aroused? Yeah, okay, that's a... See, I'm actually wondering if this is something to do, like if she's an HSP, like a highly sensitive person, and this Mm -hmm. is more stimulation, a a sensitivity to stimulation than it is anything else. Yeah. Because there are some people who are just overwhelmed by stimulation. Okay, I have a funny example for that. Okay. So I am, I can't handle auditory stimulation issues. I can't do it. Uh Uh, My kids only have like one toy that makes noise kind of thing. So my husband is... I mean, the lowest of the low sensitivity people, okay? Uh-huh. And literally last week, he realized for the first time that it is difficult for most people if he is practicing piano while there is other music playing in the background. <laughs> and I'm like, Connor, I thought you were doing this and you just thought it was funny. <laughs> this is the most horrible thing. Like, I have to go into another room. Have you not realized this for the last two years? I leave every time you play piano while there's experimental jazz playing on the speaker. So, like, there are real differences in, in people. Connor genuinely mm-hmm. is able to compartmentalize, and I just can't. It's too overwhelming. Right. And so if she is just having issues, I think this might be more of a solo. Yeah. Like, it's not, it doesn't sound like it's necessarily related to the relationship if she just can't handle touch at all. Yeah, because she says in general, I'm not a fan Mm -hmm. of hugging, kissing, etc. Yeah. And so I would would see if this this is a trauma response, because it might be. Mm -hmm. It might be trauma in your past, but it might not be. So let's not all jump on the bandwagon of, oh, I must have sex abuse I've forgotten about or something. Like it might not be, but it might be. And so it's worth talking to the therapist about that. You know, it's also worth looking at um, how did your family express affection growing up too? Because mm-hmm. genuinely kissing and hugging is is very intimate and yeah. very vulnerable. And if, I mean, I'm thinking about your your typical kind of like the stereotypical Nordic family, like Danish family <laughs> versus your like stereotypical like Italian. Venezuelan or, <laughs> or Italian yeah. or something. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, I love you. One, 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 one. Versus like, hello. How are you today? <laughs> right. So, and it is good to see you after six years. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there are there are some cultural differences as well, right? So it might be that you just have different experiences. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily, you know, that's not your fault. No, but if she's finding this is holding her back, mm-hmm. right? Because there's, there's nothing wrong with differences in culture. But if you're finding that, that, that something that you find innate to you is holding you back, yeah. it is worth investigating how you might be able to overcome it. And um, there are some great, like there's some great mindfulness techniques, which just help you center yourself, help you, you know, lower your heart rate, help you um, experience what's going on around you with less stress. And and so, you know, talking to a therapist about some of these techniques can help as well. Yeah. And if it is a vulnerability issue too, mm-hmm. like if, if it's something where you just have a hard time being vulnerable in general, yeah, that might be just something to explore. And that might be a really good way for you both to grow and for your, your spouse to help you to learn that vulnerability is safe. Yeah, exactly. So this could be, there could be all kinds of different reasons for this. Um, but I would, I would really recommend um, just researching some of them and seeing if any of them seem to fit with you. Because yeah, there might be something which you are fine with. Like if you were single, you would, you, you don't think this would necessarily affect you. But 
You know, <laughs> we were built for connection. And if there's something which is holding you back that you don't want to hold you back, mm -hmm. then let's do some work and figure and figure it out. So there's number one where it really looks like it's just more solo than anything else. Let me read another one. Okay. Okay. And this one is for, this one's from a guy. Okay. And he writes, I have convinced myself that the reason we don't have more and better sex is because sex is just meh for her. She has never had an orgasm and does not feel that she ever needs to. And if I can find ways to make it yay for her, <laughs> she will be more willing to pursue me and her own sexuality. I have done lots of research about what she should want, but I now feel like I am being restrained as she is not in the mood or not in the right headspace. I feel like I cannot even put these ideas to practice. I feel like she is holding herself back. I have tried to respect her decisions and be okay with it, but over and over I deal with these feelings and they end up bringing us apart rather than together. I start to feel like I'm not a good lover and that I'm failing as a man and failing my wife. How do I get to a place where my identity is not so heavily weighted to our sexual performance as a couple, a place where I'm okay with who she is and I can stop trying to fix her? Okay. I have one big thought, and I'm curious as to your one big thought is the same as my one big thought. Mine is is harsh. Mine is kind of too. So okay. let's see. I what I think is this is a woman. He, this is a man whose wife has never had an orgasm, mm -hmm. and he's concerned about feeling like he's not a good lover. Mm -hmm. What are we defining a good lover as then? Yeah, that is genuinely my question. Is 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 we get this a lot where it's like I I feel like maybe I'm just not I'm not good in bed, and I'm like, mm -hmm. well, what would make you bad in bed? Like, if her not having an orgasm doesn't mean that a man is not doing well in bed, mm -hmm. would, like, him have to be raping her in order to be bad in bed? Mm -hmm. Like, that's well, genuinely think, my think, question. Yeah, I, I, I have a slightly different one. So we, we do see this a little bit different. Yeah. But I, I think what he would argue is he wants to give her an orgasm, but she isn't letting him. Yeah, but the issue is, of course, he's created a environment in which from the get-go, he was not a good lover. Right, exactly. That's the problem. And what the, the reason that I... My first response is this, okay? So he's concerned that she isn't reaching orgasm. Yep. And she says she doesn't really care. Mm -hmm. And there's all these things he wants to do to help her get there, but she's not interested. Mm -hmm. But he's still having sex with her. That's exactly what I was going to say, too. Yeah. And that, to me, is the issue. Okay, look. <laughs> all you are doing is cementing the idea that sex is not for her. Mm -hmm. The more you have sex where she feels absolutely no pleasure... And she's doing it just for you, the more you cement that that's what sex is. And I do know a lot of men went into sex with no sex education, mm -hmm. with absolutely no real understanding of how any of this works, where they were thrown in blind. And that was not fair. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of guys where they were told, you just wait to the wedding night and then you go and you have sex and it's awesome. And because you waited, God is going to give you both orgasms that will make fireworks show off in your bedroom and you'll fly and you'll mm -hmm. sprout wings. Mm -hmm. And that's what they were told. And, and it didn't happen. And they didn't understand how they could have done better. And they were never taught about the sexual response cycle yeah. because to give any real sex ed might, might be mean, too tempting. Might be too tempting. Yes. And so they just weren't taught this stuff. No, but that doesn't mean that you still didn't do the thing that caused the ramification. Mm -hmm. Just because you didn't know better doesn't mean that you are now blameless in what happened in terms of it. It's still your responsibility to fix it, mm -hmm. right? I I see this kind of mentality a lot where it's like, well, we've, we've been married for seven years. She has never had an orgasm. And now I really want to make sure she has an orgasm. And she's the one who's a stick in the mud. 
Yeah. And my response to that is, okay, but you've had orgasmic sex for seven years. Mm -hmm. Sure, it might not have been everything you wanted because you wanted a really excited partner, but you didn't put the work in at the beginning to have an excited partner. Mm -hmm. What this research has shown, not like just the one study, but all the studies that we've looked at, is that men create the sex lives they have. Mm -hmm. Really, that is what it what it shows, is that in general, men create the sex lives they have, right? Even in our study, when it comes to sexless marriages, the mm-hmm. majority, like almost every sexless marriage that we looked at yeah. had multiple, multiple, like multiple markers of damaging sexuality, most of which were done by the men. Like yeah. she never orgasmed. That's yeah. not her fault. He had porn use. He had porn <laughs> use or like she didn't feel emotionally connected during sex, which means the couple is not connecting yeah she's feeling used she's feeling used exactly there's there's a lot of things where men have to recognize that you have a large amount of influence here from the Mm get-go and if you didn't use that influence uh appropriately or responsibly even if that was in ignorance Mm -hmm. this is this is not her fault yeah um she didn't choose to have non-orgasmic sex she didn't get married being like, what I really want is to feel like this is a burden and I feel used and feel like this is just for him and he has to just use my body. Mm-hmm. She doesn't, no woman gets married being like, oh, I can't wait to feel like I'm just going to lie there and hope it gets over with. Yeah. And so many men say, well, she was so raring to go and she was so excited about sex. And then it was just like the bait and switch. As soon as they put yeah. the ring on her finger, she just totally switched. She didn't want to switch. Yeah. She didn't want to do that. And maybe if you were having sex before you got married and then you're like, well, when we got married and it all of a sudden stopped, okay, but what else changed? Is it now that she has to take care of all of your laundry and your dishes? All of a yep. sudden she doesn't want to have sex with you anymore because you're not living in separate places? But let's, let's, okay, I just, but we'll get back to I this do, guy. I do want to talk about this guy for a minute. And so this, now again, we recognize there might be other things going on, yeah. okay? She might be a victim of trauma. Mm-hmm. Right? She might have sexual trauma in her background, and that might make sex really difficult. Mm-hmm. Okay? And there is no getting around that. No. For so many people. But yeah. the more you have sex with her when she is feeling no pleasure and she's doing it for you, the more you make that trauma harder to get over. And <laughs> I think that if you want to have a great sex life where you have an eager partner who is just ready and raring to go, you have to put the work in mm-hmm. at the beginning. Yeah. And if you didn't put the work in at the beginning, you have to recognize now that it's going to take a lot more work and you may not get exactly what you wanted. Yeah. And I know that's not the hopeful message that we often like to give, yeah. but I just have yet to see research that shows that you can get to the like if if the damage has already been done you can get to a really really good place mm-hmm. a really good place but she might always have a responsive instead of the spontaneously view that lots of men kind of like go into marriage expecting yeah right yeah. like and and there's nothing wrong with responsive libido it's a good thing yeah but we all have to recognize and be realistic about how actions have consequences Mm-hmm. Right. There is the, the verse that we're always quoting. Uh, God cannot be mocked. A man yeah, reaps, reaps what, what he sows. sows. And that doesn't always mean that it was sown in malice. No. What I love about this guy's letter is that he is so focused. Like he wants his wife to enjoy sex. Mm-hmm. But does he want his wife to enjoy sex enough that he can stop enjoying sex for a little bit? Yeah. Because she's not been enjoying it the whole time. Yeah. 
And so can he, can he actually take responsibility and can he actually take the steps to truly and honestly get back to the basics of a relationship mm-hmm. instead of it being about how, well, you're not performing well, wife, mm-hmm. versus like he hasn't been performing well. He's, again, where the frustrating part for me is at what point is a woman not orgasming going to be enough to consider a man not a good lover? Yeah. Because... What does being a good lover even mean then? It It's meaningless. Yeah, because, and I know he says, but like, I'd be willing to do all of these things and yeah. I've researched, I'd be willing to do all these things, but she doesn't want me to. But the question is, why doesn't she want you to? Mm-hmm. And, and that is part of being a good lover. So honestly, if you want her to enjoy sex, mm-hmm. you may need to go back to square one. And we're going to talk about this in November. This is really going to be our series in November where we're going to talk about how to dig out of the pit that you mm-hmm. dug for yourself. <laughs> um, yeah. Even if you did it, Totally in ignorance. Totally in ignorance. Yeah. And she may have dug it too, okay? Yeah. She may have been there with the shovel yes. helping you dig it. Yeah. She may have said, no, don't worry about me. She may have She may have not prioritized her pleasure yeah. as well. She may have thought, I don't really matter. Exactly. Like, like she may have contributed to this too, but the difference is you were the one getting the orgasm. Yeah. And you've been the one getting the orgasm for years. And now you're coming to her and saying, you're still not good enough. Yes, you've given me all these orgasms, but now you're the one still doing it wrong. Yes. Um, Instead of coming to her and saying, I've done it wrong for however many years. I have not been a good lover. I've been a selfish lover. Mm. I have not been good. And from the get-go, I should have been better. Yeah. And I'm so sorry. Yeah. And let's kind of figure out how I can be the husband that you need and you want. Because she might decide she doesn't want sex. Yeah. And is that something you are willing to have her decide? Because that's the question I always have for these guys is, will you still love your wife even if she doesn't really want sex? Because you are the one who made it that she doesn't want sex. Yeah. In a lot of these cases. Because a lot of these women did want sex. Yeah. And we're really looking forward to sex before the wedding. But then they get married and they have these negative experiences and their sex drive is just killed. Because we've heard from so many women who are in exactly this woman's position where Mm -hmm. they didn't have sex. They didn't have orgasms for years. They're like, we got married. It was awkward. It was messy. I felt uncomfortable. I felt just quirky and weird. I didn't feel sexy and we didn't orgasm. And so it just went on like that for 12 years. And then all of a sudden, you know, we figured out these problems and we just put a total sex ban on the table for as long as I needed. And Mm -hmm. then what they say is often after time when it was genuinely, she genuinely learned that he loved her. Yeah. He didn't love using her body. He loved her. That's when desire can often come back too. Yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about is how is how to make that a reality in your life. But I would just say to this man, I know your heart. Yeah. Like you sound like your heart is in a good place. Yeah. You sound like, really like does. I really want her to enjoy sex too. I don't want sex to, to be just about me. But you need to show your wife that and you're not showing it to her yeah. right now if you're still having sex with her when she's not having a good time. Yeah. And so like you might need to come to her and say, look, I need we need to back up. We need to back this truck up. We need to go back to the beginning and we need to figure this out because I don't want to feel like I'm using you. Yeah. If you don't want to settle for B plus or C plus in your mm-hmm. marriage, then don't settle for it. Now, I do want to talk uh, I, I do want to talk about something else that I talked about on the blog okay. this week, actually, uh, about women who, uh, we do get emails from women who said, I never had an orgasm for like 10 years and mm-hmm. then something happened and suddenly I became orgasmic. Yep. To, and sometimes that something is birth control. And this is, yes. uh, I don't have a letter about this. But I did have a post on Monday about 10 ways that hormones can affect libido. Yep. And that's really about, and that's when we're looking at spontaneous or solo libido, yep. <laughs> where um, women's 
women's hormones do play a big role in libido. We talk about this in the Boost Your Libido course Mm -hmm. as well, how there are hormone fluctuations across the month where just before ovulation, your, your, your hormone, and for men, it's testosterone mm-hmm. that really boosts libido. For women, it is too, but it's also estrogen, and it's also yeah. the, how high progesterone is. You don't want progesterone to be the highest. Like, it's all it's all the mix, okay? Exactly. It's this nice soupy thing of hormones. Yeah. <laughs> and when the soup is a specific kind of soup. <laughs> this is so gross. <laughs> this is so gross. <laughs> women are really raring to go. And we get, like, that right around ovulation. And then after ovulation, your body's like, eh, I did my job. Yeah. You know? And so your your hormone levels change in the luteal phase, which is the phase after ovulation before menstruation begins again, and your libido can drop. And so one night you could be having sex and like, you're super into it. And you're really orgasmic. And it's easy. And then and then another night, it's like everything is the same. But you find your mind is wandering and you can't get aroused as easily. And then you start thinking like, am I stressed? Am I Mm -hmm. mad at my husband? (laughs) Like, do I not realize there's something going on subconsciously? (laughs) And then you start thinking, what are all the things he did to me today? It's like, that's what it must be. I must be mad at him. (laughs) And really, it's just that you're in the luteal phase. And if we understood that in that phase, you're just going to take like a longer time to reach yeah. orgasm and it doesn't mean there's anything wrong okay yeah. and then right before menstruation a couple of days before you c- some women find this weird combination where your libido is actually a little bit higher but at the same time you're really ticked off <laughs> and so it's just it's this really weird time okay so it's like think if you think about um after your period is like the green zone where where your body works really well after ovulation is the red zone where it doesn't work as well and you need some more time and then you get this orange zone where it's yeah. like <laughs> we don't know and then, proceed with caution <laughs> for some women during your period your libido goes up yeah you know so it differs for people but understanding that really helps here's the thing though hormonal birth control can take away those spikes yeah where where you get the rearing to go and so does menopause mm-hmm. and menopause also brings with it a bunch of other changes um vaginal dryness uh, vaginal atrophy all kinds of thinness of the vaginal wall there's less blood flow to the genital region and so lubrication and arousal can just take more time mm-hmm. um and so you know these are all things that can also affect us but i've talked to so many women who started off marriage on hormonal birth control yeah and then when they stop to try to have a kid, they're like, wait a second. Like, wow, is that what it normally feels like? I am not saying that no one should go on the pill. Oh, gosh, no. Okay. And we have a birth control series where we, we go over the different mm-hmm. um, methods. I've, I've been on the pill for medical reasons stuff. I had horrible periods and I've, yeah. had, I've been on the pill for that for crippling pain. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're not saying that. We're just saying that is something to be aware of. Yeah. And so again, if your libido isn't what you want it to be, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of other reasons... Just ask yourself if it could be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a bad idea to try another kind of contraception for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's there's another one that can affect solo mm-hmm. where people haven't orgasmed in a couple of years, and that could be something. Yeah. All right, another email. Sex is something that I could spend the rest of my life without and be fine. It feels okay sometimes. It hurts others. Mm. I've talked to doctors, and they say they can't do anything except for surgery, and they don't want to go that far with my other medical conditions. I'm chronically ill and sick a lot. My husband has an almost insatiable libido and tells me he wishes I would stop complaining about my illnesses and push through. Oh, gosh. In the same sentence, he will say he doesn't want me to do anything I don't want to sexually. 
I'm really torn because sex is exhausting, makes me nauseous and often hurts, but I know it's important for my marriage. It's difficult because I've fallen asleep while my husband is trying to give me pleasure and it was disheartening for him. He has, he has said having sex with foreplay is too much work for nothing. Oh gosh, that is something. Yeah. That sounds like a bad dude who knows the right words to say. Well, I'm sorry, but anytime mm-hmm. that someone's saying things like, I want you to enjoy this. I want you to have a great time. I don't want you to feel pressured. And then like, also, I'm going to pressure you. I'm going to give you unenjoyable sex and complain about having to have foreplay. Listen to his actions, not his words. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. Listen to his actions, yeah. not his words. I will say, if you are experiencing a great deal of pain, um, please Even see Even any a- pain. Pe- any pain. Yeah. Please see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. I know she's seen... Doctors? doctors and i don't mean to be anti-doctor my husband's a physician okay? but they have no idea what to do with um, this stuff. but pelvic floor physiotherapists are often far more educated in this than many family doctors and even gynecologists mm-hmm. now some gynecologists are wonderful and she yeah. may have a different condition okay yeah. there are conditions that are not muscular related that require surgery yeah. that do require and that yeah that aren't muscular related um and there's also like like inflammation, inflammatory diseases that pelvic floor physiotherapists can't really help with. And so it's not like a pelvic floor physiotherapist is a cure-all. But for example, (laughs) I'll say for myself, I had horrible, I talked about this in the book, I had horrible trauma-induced vaginismus after my son's birth. Mm -hmm. My family doctor told me the only result was to have a second kid and hope it tears the right way this time. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, Oh my God. Okay, repeat that again. I'm still processing. Yeah. So I I went to get a pap smear and my family doctor told me that the only way to cure what was going on was to have a second kid and hope it tears the right way this time. Okay. And hope it heals better. And then I saw a pillow for physiotherapist the next month crying to her because I thought I wasn't going to be able to have more kids without C-section. Ironically, had a C-section next time. (laughs) (laughs) And within four weeks, I was better. Yeah. Because it was trauma. No, it but was Im- not muscular. Imagine if you weren't my daughter, though. Yeah, exactly. Imagine and- if I hadn't done the research for the Great Sex Rescue already. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, but that's, that's the thing is my family doctor has, was a lovely person and was incredibly empathetic and was, was really just at a loss and was like, I'm, I don't know. Like, I'm so sorry. I think it's just this. She had no idea. Absolutely mm-hmm. no idea how the pelvic floor worked because mm-hmm. it's not her job. Mm-hmm. It's not her job. Go see someone who it's their job. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say something which is going to shock that's you. That's hard to do. Go for it. <laughs> I want to praise Kevin Lehman for something he said. Yeah, no, that would do it. (laughs) So in sheet music, he he actually, I thought that of all the books that we reviewed for The Great Sex Rescue, he actually handled Vaginismus the best. Yeah, he did. We've had this conversation. Yeah. Okay. Now, that does not mean it's a good book. No. It's me. No, you do not have to have sex during your period or give him oral sex during your period to keep him from watching porn. But anyway, um, what he did say was he said, like, men, how would you feel if every time you thrust... Yeah. It felt like someone was jabbing something up your penis. Exactly. Like, would you enjoy that? Yeah. And and so we he need... He was the to, only... Ugh. He was genuinely... He's the only male author I have ever seen asking men to get into the headspace of the woman in pain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we need... So, so I would just say to this woman... She needs, first of all, you need to figure out the pain piece, absolutely. Yeah. But there's also more relationship issues going on this here. This is a trust what he does, not what he because says. Because he's not showing that he actually cares no. about her. Um, I will also say, like, if during foreplay you're falling asleep. <laughs> yeah. um, that probably means that your body needs sleep. It probably mean, And it probably means that you're you're having sex at a time where it, it's not going to work. Like, if if 
assuming the pain thing is taken care of and assuming the relationship thing is taken care of, if you're really working on orgasm, if mm-hmm. orgasm is difficult and if pleasure is difficult for you, having sex right when you're really super tired is probably not going to help. No. And it, it may help to change the time of date that you try to have sex. Also, if you're allowing your mind to wander, you're not going to feel pleasure and you're more likely to fall asleep. So learning mindfulness techniques where you can stay engaged and mm-hmm. understand what your body is feeling is really important. So, But I again, for this woman, the for priority woman, is not orgasm. The yeah. priority is to have her husband stop treating her so terribly. Yeah. Okay. Or to, yeah, because that, that just makes me angry. Okay, two more about libido. Okay, from a reader. My husband has a really high libido and I do not. I can typically go without intimacy for a couple of weeks while he prefers at least once a week. He has expressed his want to have more sex before and I agreed. Cue uncomfortable and awkward emotions for me along with just being physically disinterested. He is very attentive and makes sure I orgasm, but sex is just not an absolute top of my list gotta have it now thing. I've always been this way. He takes this as a personal slight to his ego and believes I don't desire him, so he's constantly asking what he can do to be more desired. He says he is tired of getting rejected. I kind of chalk it up to he's a man, there's no doubt he thinks differently. He doesn't really stop and consider what's going on in life. When is he asking? Part of it is he always says he desires me so much and it almost feels like he is blaming his desire on me when I have no conscious decision to be sexy. I'm getting to the point where I just feel like touching, responding positively to his compliments, or even trying to be myself is leading him leading him on. This time, when he approached me about his want to have sex more often, it was placed behind a plea that it makes our marriage better. We are always closer after. It's hard to have these needs and not having them met. I just felt like crying and I'm super frustrated because he says more and I say no. It's also the timing. We have young kids, one of which we are having some major behavioral issues with and we are actually taking a parenting class. I'm having issues at my full-time job and I have a billion other things going on and he just does not understand that I am not ready to go at the drop of a hat like him. I feel like he's shaming and pressuring me and I'm upset. Yeah, I I have some I have two takes on this. Okay, and we may disagree with one of the takes. Okay, but I do think that this is an example of that solo versus dyadic. Yeah, with the equality. Yeah, in marriage. Yeah, where she's she's carrying a lot of this responsibility. Yeah, because she says that he's ready to go at a drop of hat, and she has too many things on her mind. Right, right. like that's mm-hmm. what that's what really she's saying. Yeah. When I read this letter too, the big word that comes to my mind is just overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. You know, like this just sounds very much like that study about how she might be holding more of the mental load, more of the, it might just not be an equal relationship. The yeah. fact that she says this, there's no doubt he thinks differently. He doesn't really stop to consider what's going on in life. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that is, that is textbook mental load inequality and mm-hmm. my personal opinion based on the research that i've seen reading that is that this is a mental load problem mm-hmm. she does have desire yeah it's just not that frequent yeah. she has sex desire yeah. i can typically go without intimacy for a couple of weeks it means there is a point where she can't go without intimacy anymore right right right, right. so she has desire but it's just being so squelched by all the pressures that she's feeling and mm-hmm. it sounds like he's not even considering those yep yeah. And um, I, I will also say, too, that when men want sex, regardless of what else is going on, yeah. that is, that can be a red flag in the relationship, too. We talked about that last week in the Paul and Morgan, talking about the Paul mm-hmm. and Morgan um, YouTube video as well. Like, you shouldn't want sex in the middle of a fight. That's yeah. That does show that there's yeah. a... And I don't know if that's exactly what's going on here. Yeah. It might just be that he doesn't carry the, the household mm-hmm. stuff. But just, just for anyone who's listening, like, if, yeah. if, if is... you guys can be going through something really bad and he still is just mad that you're not giving him any, that... Yeah. That's a little concerning. Yeah. 
But at the same time, there I do want to talk about the other side of it. Yes. Which sometimes we don't talk about. Yeah. And so let's look at the other side of it too. Yeah. Like let's talk about a theoretical relationship, right? <laughs> There's no mental load inequality. She's orgasming all the time. They're best friends. They're equal partners. The marriage is really, really, really good. But life is just stressful and hard. Yeah. The behavior problems. Yeah. The job problems. Yeah. Et cetera. When you are feeling stressed, mm-hmm. you're not going to want sex in a way, it's almost like like if, if if you're in a lot of stress, you're almost in fight or flight mode. Well, like, it's, it's the brakes, right? The brakes yeah. are slammed to the ground, yeah, right? Because, because your body doesn't have the energy. It doesn't have the resources to resort to sex. And especially as a woman, you definitely don't have the resources to have another pregnancy right now. And <laughs> you're kind of your lizard brain, right? You're, yeah. you're the deep parts of your brain that are responsible for all these base needs are kind of right. like, no, no sex, we can't have babies. Yeah, because when your body is stressed... Your body turns off libido because your body doesn't want to get pregnant. Yeah. Okay, and now so that's, this, that's that's a theory. Of that's course. a theory, but but it, it can't be tested. Look, but it, it's a good theory. It does look like stress really does reduce libido, yeah. and because your body is saying, "I have all of these really big things I need to take care of. Yeah. These are my priorities," and so libido just goes way by the wayside. Okay, here's where I'm going to push back a bit, a bit okay. for women. Okay. Your child may have behavioral problems for the next few years. This may not be something which takes care of itself overnight. And even if your husband comes on board and is in parenting classes and is fully engaged with this, it may still cause stress in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, you may have a super stressful job that is just making life untenable right now. And so the big picture question is, is your life tenable the way it is? You know, because if you have all of these issues, there's something going on that's causing your child to have behavior problems. You're having major job stress. Like, maybe you need a different life. Because is this really tenable? And mm-hmm. and for some people, you can't ask that question because you're just in too much economic hardship yeah. and things are just too difficult. But, you know, we've like, Keith and I made the decision a while ago to make major changes to his work schedule because our life was untenable. And, you know, there are times where you, you're kind of like on this, on this um, treadmill, and you're just going ahead, because you're just doing what you're supposed to do. And realizing that I am capable of stepping off the treadmill and asking, is this even where I want to be, can be very empowering. Yeah. And often, if you're someone who has young kids, or you're just kind of trying to get it sorted out, you don't have the freedom to remove hours or to change jobs or Mm -hmm. anything. And so are there other areas that could somehow be alleviated like is it are are you mm-hmm. really feeling a lot of mom guilt and mom pressure and putting your kids in like 18 extracurriculars um, yeah like are are you uh, doing things I know a really simple I know this is going to sound like a really silly thing because Connor and I are more in a situation that most people are in where like we can't choose to change jobs or change our mm-hmm. hours and we have young kids and really big thing for me and I talked about in the newsletter is we just genuinely changed how we did screen time and it changed a lot of the behavioral stuff that we were dealing with I'm not saying for this kid I'm just saying like for for other Mm -hmm. families who are like everything is just so hard all the time it's like are there some things that uh like giving it a good week of effort Mm -hmm. could change i know that really helped us but asking yourself you know is this tenable long term maybe make a five-year plan where you you end up you know, you you move to a different city, yeah. you change your housing situation, whatever it might be to make life more tenable. Uh, maybe one of you goes half time, whatever it might be, because if this isn't tenable in the long term, what are you going to do about it? And it might not be something you can fix in six months, but you might be able to make a five year plan. Yeah. And so I that think it's better. Yeah. And the same TED talk I was talking about earlier from Emily Nagoski, she was sharing, you know, the, the two things that uh, 
lead to long-term happy relationships, right? Like what Mm -hmm. makes a couple still be in love with each other 25 Mm -hmm. years down the road, right? Which I recognize is in the back rear view mirror for you guys, but for me, it seems very long. (laughs) Um, And one of the things that it genuinely is, they do prioritize sex. Yeah. Now, she has a really big caveat where she says that includes infrequent sex, mm-hmm. but it is impor- it is prioritized. Doesn't mean you have to be having sex every two days. Right. Every three days. Nothing right. like that. So here's here's how Nagoski put it. And I typed this out, so it is as close to word perfect as I can get. I can think of nothing more romantic than being chosen as a priority, even after I introduced all these difficult feelings into our relationship. And what she's talking about is talking about the body image issues or the reasons you don't want sex and bringing them all forward. Mm -hmm. How do you sustain a strong sexual connection in a relationship over the long term? You look into the eyes of your best friend and you keep choosing to find your way back. Mm -hmm. And I think that We talk a lot on here about, you know, why women don't want sex Mm -hmm. and why it's often his fault, frankly, um, and or why it's the fault of bad teachings or it's the fault of, you know, past bad experiences. But I do think that what's important to recognize is that in relationships, we do have power to Mm -hmm. choose when we know something is good for us, Mm -hmm. when we know something is good for us. And maybe that choosing means you have to choose to give up something else. Yeah. You know, or maybe it means that you and your husband decide, you know what? I can do every other week. Every other Saturday, we're going to have sex. Mm-hmm. It's fine. And that's what we're going to do. And we're going to do that until that's working for us. And then we can work our way up. Mm-hmm. Instead of him being like, well, I want sex every, like, once or twice a week. And she wants sex once every four weeks. And so they decide to go once a week. Maybe they just start easing it towards a more frequent instead mm-hmm. of doing it all in. Because it has to be about both of you. Yeah. Has to be about both of you. But that idea of choosing to come back, choosing Mm -hmm. to find your way back, to look into the eyes of your best friend and choosing to find your way back. I just thought that was really beautiful. It is. And, you know, just as we were talking about how stress can lower libido, there are things that can lower stress. Yes. And one of the ways that you can lower stress is by prioritizing intimacy and connection in relationships. Like relationships are one of the best stress relievers when you have a close relationship. Mm -hmm. And so is orgasm. And so, you know, we're not, again, we're not trying to say that how he treats you doesn't matter. No. (laughs) We're not trying to say that, 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 um, you know, mental load doesn't matter or anything like that. But there is a time where sometimes the reason you don't want sex is because of stress. But ironically, if you practice some of the mindfulness techniques, if you decided, I do want to prioritize this because I want to have a good time and I want to feel close to my husband and I know this is good for me, you know, then that libido can come back. Yeah, because there's going to be times where the the reason for your low libido needs to be addressed by your spouse, Mm -hmm. right? If you're the woman who has low libido, there are going to be times where if it's mental load, you know what? He needs to deal with that. Yeah. But also life is just really hard and stressful. And if we're waiting for life to be perfect, that's not going to happen. And so what we're saying is if there's a chance, like if there's a time where he genuinely needs to fix things, Mm -hmm. he needs to fix things. And if he's not willing to fix things, then he can't really complain about not having as much sex as he wants. But if they're in a situation where they're partners, they're really in this together and, you know, there's just a mismatched libido and there's nothing more he can really do at some point. We have to simply accept that it might be time to, again, look into the eyes of your best friend and choose to come back again Because and again. wouldn't that be wonderful 
if you could live that. And I think that's what women want. Mm -hmm. We just sometimes we're so in the middle of the stress that we don't even see how it's possible because we never have that felt need for sex. And that's what we talk about in the Boost Your Libido course too, you know, because I know this is really tricky for so many women. And I, uh, my heart is just to have people who feel connected enough that they can tackle the stresses of life together. Yeah, exactly. Because the, the Boost Your Libido course is not going to tell you, you have to have sex more often or else you're not prioritizing your marriage or else no. you're not a good wife or else no. you're not. No, it's nothing about that. It's about how can we figure out how to unlock desire for you because mm-hmm. you deserve to want to have sex. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and this was something amazing that God did make and it and it and it does help reduce stress and it does help you, you know, go through life feeling invigorated and feeling like, okay, I can tackle this. Mm-hmm. We can handle this together. Um and and it's not going to fix your relationship, okay? Your relationship is something different, and that does need to be tackled. But if if this really is a big roadblock for you, I, I hope we can help you get over it because there are ways. And I just hate to see people feel stuck and feel so alienated when there might be a way around it. So that's what we had to say today, you know, about libido. These different ways of looking at it, they can help us realize that maybe high-low isn't the best way of seeing it. But Mm -hmm. when we can understand other ways of seeing it, it can help us recognize where the problems really are. You know, where we don't just blame someone for having the lower libido, we say, okay, what kind of libido do you have? What are the what are the things that are going into lowering your libido? And how can we overcome that? So take a look at the the boost your libido course, take Mm -hmm. a look at the great sex rescue. And let's continue this conversation and this research because it's important. Um, Coming up in November, We're going to talk about what to do if you really did dig this hole. (laughs) And because sometimes you dig the hole a little bit and then your spouse digs it a little bit more and then you just keep digging and then the rains come and it just gets so weird. It's it's like it's not even a hole based on one problem. It becomes a hole based on like five different problems. Exactly. And where do we even start (laughs) to dig our way out and to find the sex life that we want? So we're going to get some practical in November with some um, with some more stories of people that have just been really struggling and hopefully provide some hope on how we can turn this around. Mm -hmm. So thank you for joining us on Bear Marriage. Um, your support with Patreon, with buying our merch is always appreciated. And your support with our courses is always appreciated too. So we will see you next week for our first podcast in our new series. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.